I believe women don't have enough safe space to embrace their stories, share freely, and lean on one another. And if we don't do this for one another, how will we show the next generation how to do it differently? There are a million reasons we hold back and hide. Fear of judgment, shame, uncertainty, or simple inconvenience. But that just allows the problem to persist, ladies. Let's open up the conversation. No holds barred and no judgment. Let us hear your joys and your pains, your struggles and your triumphs. Truth be told, we probably have far more in common than you'd imagine. Together, we'll create a different experience than what we've come to tolerate. A more authentic and connected experience that triumphs over judgment and falsities. One that gives us all the space to be sincere and unapologetic together. This is me. Hello and welcome back to This Is Me. Y'all, I am so excited about this next podcast. This podcast kicks off a series of podcasts all about our stories of beauty, how we have wrestled with it and how we have triumphed over it. And this one, this is especially important to me because I didn't realize how much our spirituality is very, very much tied to beauty. How we deal with our our spirits is a lot like how we deal with our our beauty expectations. And the woman that I interviewed, man, she matched my energy moment for moment. And then when I started to to falter on one thing, man, she just took off and, and filled me with her energy. She is amazing. Her name is Tristan Noel LeClaire. She's a published award-winning certified nutritionist, a personal trainer, and a self-care expert. She has transformed hundreds of women's minds and bodies through her private coaching business for the past 12 years. Tristan holds multiple certifications in fitness, nutrition, and life coaching. She is the wife of a retired veteran and the mother of two small girls. She lives to inspire and empower women through educating them to take control of their own life and make their personal health and happiness the ultimate priority. And she really did inspire me to kind of take control of of an aspect of beauty that, that I've been wavering in. And she really empowered me just to grab it. And embrace it and make it a part of me. When Tristan's not coaching personal clients, she's speaking nationally on the importance of self-care for longevity, the art of resilience and forgiveness, and how to set and achieve any heart-centered goal. Tristan is an energetic-filled woman, and I truly appreciated this conversation that I had with her. If you would like to see more of this conversation in its un- version with all of the laughter and the bloopers, subscribe to my YouTube channel under Heather Stark. This is me. Tristan, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I just, I really was honored when you reached out and you shared your story. And then when we talked on the phone, there was, it was just like, there's no way I, I couldn't interview you. You have such a contagious energy. And I, your story, um, like it's going to resonate with a lot of women. My first job in college was Victoria's Secret. So when you shared part of your story, I was immediately like, yes, I know this. I know this space. So thank you. Um, And you're here to tell us your story of just beauty and how you stepped in to your own beauty and your, your, how you carry it. And um, so where does your story start? Well, I'd say my story starts with my parents um, I, and where I grew up. So I grew up in on Lake Mission Viejo, which is in South Orange County. Um, and my parents put a, I'm the youngest of three by 13 years. Um, my parents put a lot of emphasis on the way that our lives looked. Mm-hmm. Um, so right from the start, like I grew up with a very pristine home. Um, you know, we always had new cars, like the, and even through Disney movies as well. I mean, I grew up like, you know, idolizing 
the Little Mermaid and things like that. Let's not even open that door. How problematic <laughs> Disney movies are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but everything was telling me that I needed to be beautiful and I needed men to want me. And then that was where my power was. And beauty was in being blonde and being shapely and having breasts, right? And I remember going through the stores with my mother and looking at the mannequins. And I mean, I was so young and seeing the mannequins and the figure of the mannequins and just being like, when will my boobs come? Like, when will my time come? Because to me, that's like where all the power was, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so then cut to, I, I went, I had a medical issue and, and it was triggered by stress. Um, my, my, I, I, I felt like an afterthought a lot in my childhood. Um, and I was constantly like seeking attention from my parents. Like they were divorced and they were living their own lives. And I, you know, kind of, kind of get shuffled back and forth. But when I was with one of them, I never felt like the priority. And so I think around, I think, I, I think it was around fourth grade where I just like stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. And, um, And so I had to be hospitalized for that. And during that time, uh, I had to go through a lot of treatments and get steroids and things like that. So this led to me, this was probably right before I was about to start puberty. Mm -hmm. And so because of the way that this happened and the things that were put into my body, I basically like stopped developing. And so, you know, I kept waiting and I I got Mm -hmm. my period at the right time. I got my period with all of my friends at 13, but like the boobs were not coming. Mm -hmm. And I, I was obviously panicked because as you kind of work your way up and you go into high school and things like that, like the girls that are developing, those are the ones with the power, you know, and I didn't understand how would I fit into this? How would I fit here? Mm -hmm. If, you know, how would I, how would I be Kelly Kapowski (laughs) if I didn't have boobs, you know? Yes. so it kind then it became about I forget how I described this before but I felt like I had a doctorate in making it look like I had breasts (laughs) so So you you were taking matters in your own hands because they weren't growing so you needed to create it yes yes create the illusion of it yes so I would get like I would find I mean my I found like the perfect combo relatively early Uh um and it was this like hard thick wonder bra and mm-hmm. then, and then all of a sudden, everywhere you look, they were selling these like chicken cutlets at this time in my life. Like these, they called them chicken cutlets and they were like little plastic things that you would put underneath your boob yeah. and they would raise your boob and make it look like you had, you know, better cleavage or whatever. But I was mm-hmm. using it for, to be half my boob <laughs> and I would stick my boob in there. And then the boob, the, the bra was like really, really hard. And I mean, like nobody knew, you know, it was, nobody knew. And then when I would you know, maybe hint at my insecurity or something that my girlfriend would be like, what are you talking about? You're fine. I'd be like, no, no, I'm not. Because like, I only had like, kind of like upper flesh of my breast to Mm -hmm. kind of work with. Um, And so that was my entire existence was thinking about this. Wow. And we're talking years of my life, years and years and years and years of my life to the point of I had a boyfriend in college who I was madly in love with. I was also super Christian at this time. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, we were not physical with each other. We were together for two years and we were not, we were not physical with each other. And I, I kind of used my Christianity um, and this like promise I had made to God to stay pure stay until marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to just be like, no, you know, I'm waiting, you know, and like garner respect that way. Yeah. But the reality was, is that I was in such a prison of my own body. And I was so ashamed that I wouldn't even let this, you know, man who I was in love with, like touch me, see me anything. Such so we would like in your own body. I mean, yeah. that is a, a line that just, you can just hear, hear it echoing across the world, you know, because women are like, yes, I was in so much pain. I was in so much pain. Um, and the women I work with now, it's like, you know, I, I work with a lot of women that are prisoners in their own body because of obesity or Mm -hmm. there's so many things that can make us a prisoner in our own body. Mine felt was like a physical deformity that Mm -hmm. I was trying, trying to hide. Um, and so I went through that relationship. My father passed away. And then um, I finally, like one day I just like collapsed 
and with my mom and I'm just like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like the reason I wasn't, you know, with Paul in an intimate sense was because, you know, I, I just, this is what's going off my body. I feel so ashamed. I, I feel deformed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, and so she was like, okay, well, let, well, let's do something about it. And so I, I got my first boob job at 21 as a virgin. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wanted to like close that chapter. I like never wanted to think about it again. Um, and so I, I got my first boob job at that time. And then it was kind of going through the next phase for me was who am I now? Now that I've, now that I've dealt with this and I've gotten, gotten this surgery, like how come I still don't feel beautiful? Uh, you know, there was still so much work to do there. Yeah. Um, in terms of mentally, emotionally, mentally, emotionally. And then also still like realizing that because I had, I literally had so much hatred for my body. Yeah. Um, that I didn't, even when I got the surgery, all that hatred still remained. Yeah. So it wasn't like I suddenly liked my butt or my legs or my arms or my face. Like there was nothing about me that I found desirable. Yeah. Um, especially when I compared it to what I thought my ideal of beauty was, I grew up like idolizing, you know, I thought Kim Basinger was like the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. You know, I grew yeah. up on Kim, uh, Goldie Hawn and there's all these blonde women in my life that I'm just like, if I'm not them, then what am I, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my mother tried to be supportive through this journey. I mean, she got me my first highlights at like 13 and it's, it's so interesting because it's like, where's, how do you decide as a mother, you know, when you're helping and when you're hindering, you know, are you feeding into this or are you just trying to help her blossom and feel better about herself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so having that kind of strange support or going dress shopping and it's just, where is that line? And that's, that's something that I have really little daughters right now, but I, I think about this all the time because, you know, as, as we discussed in our preliminary, I was very conscious about showing my, my oldest daughter, like even Disney movies at first, because Mm -hmm. I was so scared that she was going to fall into this trap of like seeing these blonde princesses and she has dark hair and dark eyes. And I was just Mm -hmm. so afraid that she was going to suddenly think that this was the ideal of beauty, you Mm -hmm. know? And even now because of Elsa, you know, she wants blonde hair. She really wants blonde hair and mommy has blonde hair. So this is problematic because this is me getting my hair done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's layered. So let me ask, um, did you ever sit down and, and talk to your mom about, you know, these are the ideals that I had growing up and it, it doesn't match. And it's part of the issue here. Um, Well, it's in in a way I did because yeah. with my older daughter, um, she would bring a lot of gifts over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I'm, I'm one of those moms. that's like no electronic toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so my, my family had to kind of be creative. And so it was like, you know, more about dolls and books and things like that, but the dolls and books that they would bring over blonde yeah. and they were white mm-hmm. and, you know, already I saw what was happening and I like nipped it in the bud really fast. And I was like, I do not want you constantly bringing over blonde princesses to my daughter mm-hmm. because this is problematic. And this is why, and this is what I grew up thinking and believing. And it is my worst nightmare that this happens to Wilder, who is my daughter's beautiful little girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we've had that conversation and I've had to have it several times because it didn't get through the first time <laughs> now we're fine but this is you know almost five years later so yeah. yeah I think she I don't I don't think I don't think my my mother is in a place to really go there and yeah. kind of own maybe what what she's created you know and her and her part in it um which is fine as long as she stops bringing my daughter blonde princesses <laughs> Cause her layers are probably really thick too. I mean, she left like a, um, a heritage behind, you right. know? Um, right. So when she was my mother, um, my mother and that entire fam 
side of the family is Ashkenazi Jew. Mm-hmm. My grand, my grandfather was in the service. So they let lived in the projects in Ohio. Oh, so wow. my mom grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was this dark haired Jewish girl and she would get her bike sawed in half. She would get kike written on her locker. She got jumped. She developed pretty early. So she got like jumped in the closet of the theater and oh my gosh. Um, like terrible things happened to her. And then when I remember when she, she told me when she was 13 years old, she went to Sunday school with um, one of her, one of her girlfriends and she learned about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she decided that like, that was the life for her. And she was going to renounce Judaism and she went home and, and she like took her Sunday school little, so they gave her like a pendant or something and they stuck it in her drawer. She stuck it in her drawer and her dad found it. And her dad got so mad at her. He's like, if you, if you're a Christian, you're not allowed, you're not my daughter anymore. Like oh this kind of stuff. Yes. And then when she met my father, when she was 18, um, he actually had to convert to Judaism to marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was like a couple years later after they had my brother and sister, they had my brother and sister really early, but my brother, my dad was just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he like dragged in a Christmas tree and like, that was that. And they were Christian. Um, but because of that, I, I grew up not knowing anything about the Jewish side of my heritage. My mom was so into not talking about it, like acting as if it didn't exist. Wow. It was just completely wiped away from her. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So many, that's so, so layered. So right? it's so layered. It's like, it when, she, when she was at Sunday school, like, did she see this other life and was like, I want this life. And then this is yeah. Jesus. That's what that represented for her. Like it's so layered. Yes. So when you, so you had the boob job and you realized that there was still so much more work to do. Where does your, where did you, and you, you've talked about having your daughters and your, your job in life coaching and personal fitness. How has all of that kind of meshed together um, with the work that you've done to understand that, you know, you have this beautiful spirit, all women have this beautiful spirit and it needs to be celebrated a couple of ways. So, um, in college, I was introduced to, and this is like, wow, this is like 20 years ago, but I was yeah. introduced to weightlifting mm-hmm. um, and I liked it. I, I liked feeling empowered. Like I would go to the gym, I would do the workouts before that I would like dabble in cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something about lifting weights that I really gravitated towards. I was, I felt like I do this, I'm in charge and I will, I feel stronger. I feel, I just felt empowered. And, um, at that point it was all about aesthetics for me because I started making the dot of like, connecting the dot of like, I understand that I need to build muscle in certain areas to get my body to change shape, but it was a very early type of realization. And then after I left college, I wound up um, moving to LA to pursue acting. So my entire life, I just wanted to be an actor. I went to um, a conservatory type school in Oregon to like learn classic Shakespearean theater. And I moved to LA to like pursue this. And um I didn't have a good time doing it. And, <laughs> um, but the, whenever I would kind of move my way up and potentially have a part, it was always for like prostitutes and things like that. And so when I had meetings with potential managers and stuff, it was a lot to do with, and I was, had darker hair at the time and all that, but it had a lot to do with my body mm-hmm. um, because actors in general are very tiny people. Mm-hmm. And I even compared to my mother and my sister, which is a realization I, I, again, I had had when I was a child, but my body is just different than theirs. Mm -hmm. I have broader shoulders. I have a broader back. Um, It's just how I'm built. Mm -hmm. And so then I kind of was like, okay, well, I'm going to delve more into the fitness side of it and the dieting side. So you name it, I did it. I mean, I just just made a connection. So yes because you were a different size, you were cast as prostitute or, yeah. I mean, and so those that or were dead prostitute or dead prostitute. Yes. So those that were smaller were like the ingenue. That's wow. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Interrupt. Which is why also I get super excited with, with all the diversity that we see on screen now. I mean, I know yes. we, I know people are like, we still have a long way to go, but we've come so far yeah. and we need yeah. to celebrate that. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, I tried everything. I was, you know, I would starve myself. I would do, you know, at the time it was about Atkins. So there was a lot of Atkins going on, yeah. you know, I would be running. I would be, I mean, I did it all. I noticed that I love these girls' bodies that were doing yoga. So like I threw myself into yoga and I would do a, these 90 minute Ashtanga like yoga classes. And then it was from there that I was like, actually, my body started to change. And it was because I kind of was recalling that weight training that I did in college. And for many a year, it was about the dieting and the cardio and like moving as much as I could and eating the least amount of food that I could. Mm -hmm. But I did start to find strength and flexibility in yoga. And again, I love the way that that made me feel. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of went into helping a girlfriend with her boot camp because I was really interested in fitness and, you know, trying to learn more and things like that. Um, and, you know, fast forward to me becoming like a title holding bodybuilder and, you know, training other women and things like that. And really understanding everything there is to know about fitness and nutrition and going through that long journey of finally mm -hmm. getting to a place of learning everything. And then even after you learn everything and after you win all the best body competitions, I still had work to do. Yeah. I still had to figure it out. Um, and I think that for me, it really, I mean, the, the piece that really probably solidified everything for me was becoming a mother. Okay. That, that's like where I shifted in my my entire idea of beauty. And it wasn't about me faking it. It wasn't about me saying like, just feel strong, you know, and yeah. lift those weights. It was, you know, you'll feel better about yourself. It was like, my message was actually like, you need to love yourself and you, you not only have to do it for you, but you have to do it for who's watching you. And how yeah. do we get to that place? Mm -hmm. And that's where the shift happened for me. How do you get to that place? <laughs> how do you <laughs> For um, you, how did you for do me, that? For me, I think it was that it's it, it's a slow tran it's a it's a sl slow process, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it it's took years to put all those layers there, yes. so they're not going to just go yes. away. Yes. I honestly believe is, is that if you can find a way to conquer your body, if you are feeling imprisoned in your body in any sense, like I can't wear that because of my body in mm -hmm. in whatever way. Yeah. Then you are imprisoned in your body. Like that's Ooh. the first step. Okay. That's the first step. Because so how in do my, you release that? In my brain, no. I'm like, I'm a pear-shaped body. I know I've said, I cannot wear those. I, I can wear jeans, but I can't wear those jeans because yes. I'm a pear-shaped body. Um, so, okay. Keep going. You know, that's ridiculous. Am I allowed to cuss on here? That yes, is, yes, we have that an That is e. fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. So that's your first, that's your first step that you have to go through. So what do you have to do with your body and with your brain and with your heart to release you mm -hmm. from these crazy restrictions that you're putting mm -hmm. on yourself? Mm -hmm. For me, that's a, that's weightlifting. That's hiking. That's walking. That's really being conscious about what I'm putting in my body. I like to be a certain weight. I like to be a certain size. This is how I feel empowered in my body. This is not the same for everybody. I know I have, I have a ton of friends who are perfectly fine being bigger than, than I would want to be. And they are queens in their body and they wear whatever they want. But I had to find what worked for me and then own it. Yeah. And the owning it is the big part. That's the big piece. Because if you are willing to own it, then you also have to be willing to do the work. If you don't like something that's going on with your body or in your life, because we know this is very, this is all bleeds together. Mm -hmm. Then are you also willing to do the work to change it? Mm -hmm. Because it's through the, it's through the process of taking the step forward to do the work. That's how you become empowered. It's not at the end when you actually get there. It's, it's so true. Yeah. It's loving yourself enough to take the step. Yeah. There's, there's women that I, I work with because I've been doing training and nutrition for years. I've transformed hundreds of bodies mm. and there is a universal truth, okay. which is why I'm passionate about this work and spreading this message of 
finding what it is that you really want for your body and then making it happen and don't be afraid of it and don't make excuses and don't feel like, you know, guilty for wanting something more for yourself. But it's the fact that when I see women prioritize their health and fitness and they're doing something for themselves and they are changing their bodies and they're doing something they probably thought or tried to do a hundred times, but they're this yeah. time, they're actually doing it. They, they've created the space and they're, they've gotten the, the right education and they're making it happen. Universal truth. All of these other areas of their life, they start to change if they don't like them. So different communication with their husband, different communication with their boss. I mean, it's universal. It's when they take ownership of their body and in turn their life, Mm-hmm. they can start shifting all of these other things. And, and, and it, it's, it's such a simple, simple thing. Because like you said, the empowerment happens on the journey, yes. not the end. Result, yes. But just huge. Picking up the reins and yes. saying, I'm doing this. That's it. That's yes. huge. Yeah. yeah. And you said when we talked earlier, and then you kind of said it now, we want to be beautiful. And yet we don't want to feel superficial or right. we want to feel like, you know, we, we are wise, we're leaders, you right. know, we want to be these healthy moms to our daughters. And so I loved your answer. Okay. Like, <laughs> do you remember, do you remember? Yes, do I need of to course I do because yeah. I, I live this. Okay. Yes. I live, so, so here I am. I mean, I, I, if you're watching this, okay, you'll mm-hmm. see that I did my hair. I have my makeup on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my nails done. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm a feminist. I'm a proud feminist. Yes, okay. Yes. And I, I don't, I don't necessarily like, I don't like the rules of society. I don't like that, that men don't have to, and we do. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't like raising daughters in that society. I mean, my daughter comes in the shower, I'm shaving my armpits. And my immediate thought is like, just so you know, you don't have to do this. <laughs> Okay. Like this is my body and this is what makes me feel comfortable. But like, you don't have to do this. Like I am, I am woke. I like to think that I'm woke. Okay. I know that conversation. (laughs) But here's the thing. I'm going to do what makes me feel best Mm -hmm. because when I am feeling best, regardless if it's this amalgam of my childhood and all my previous experiences of what I, what that best is, I have to do what, what makes me feel best because when I feel my best, I'm going to do my best. My vibration is going to be higher. And what we spoke on in the call before is when I was trying to release you from not from feeling bad about, I think you said you put on makeup for an event and you were like questioning putting yes, on that yes. makeup. Yeah. So what I was saying to you is that we are energy. We are soul having a human experience. And so when we entered into this human experience, we we got into it with knowing that we were going to do all the human things. And this little piece of appearance or makeup or how we look in these humanly bodies is a huge part of that human experience. And so there is no shame in, in trying to f- fulfill that human experience by doing your hair and feeling good and putting on makeup sometimes and feeling feminine. Now, granted, most of the time I walk around not looking like this, yeah. but There's I knew always. I was going to be on camera, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, people are going to see this. I'm going to try a little bit. Right. So yeah. this is what made me feel good for me in my everyday life. I have no problem not wearing makeup and going to the gym or grocery store. Like I don't care. Yeah. Um, this is what works for me. So we all have to find what works for ourselves. And if putting on a little lip gloss and mascara and foundation makes you feel good because you're just about to talk to some people, meet some people you don't know, why wouldn't you do it? This is a part of the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Oh, because yeah. we're feminists? Like, because we don't want to send that message? It's not about that. Mm. It's about our life and feeling good in our body. Yeah. You keep coming back to do what's right for you. I'm going to take care of me. You guys take care of you. And then let's not compare, (laughs) you know, because it's, we're in two, two different lives. We, you know, we just, I think, and I think that's a lot of times what trips a lot of women up. Um, Because if I, 
if I will dress up for something, but then I see women around me that didn't, I'm like, did I overdress, you know? And I, I, I'm able to kind of calm down Heather, you know, but I think that that's a, a women often, you know, we give each other the once over and we compare. And if we could all just be like, no, I'm doing what's right for me. And please. I mean, that can be said for so many things. I mean, I remember, so, um, when I, I, I started my mothering journey in LA in the South Bay mm-hmm. and everyone's in LA is pretty like crunchy in a way, like, like it's okay not to wear makeup. And like, we're all feeding our kids organic food and like none of our kids tried sugar. Like it was just kind of like a normal way of life. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into Riverside County and I wanted to make new mom friends. And I felt like shameful. That like I was only serving organic food to my children and you know they didn't have screen time and like things like that it was like I yeah. almost had to keep it as a secret because as a woman whoever we're around we want to like vibe with them we it's mm-hmm. our in our nat- it's it's natural for us to want to befriend other women I think it's I think it's like had from hundreds of years ago it's like mm-hmm. we want to create this group of women that we that that are our people and we yeah. want to get along with them and we want to create like a like a, a, a family type yeah. kind of energy with them you mm-hmm. know I mean that's like our natural inclination to do that and so when we see a group we want to be like them yeah. because you know yeah. but I mean it's part of our evolution that that we will you know continue to see differences as strengths <laughs> That's where we're going. Yes. Differences as strengths. Yes. So, okay. Tell me then if you had to define beauty for yourself, what would, what would that definition be? I mean, immediately what comes to mind as soon as you said that is beauty is a feeling free. Oh, beauty is feeling free, free from just free from expectation, just free in your body. And from your own expectations. I think, I think we're our own worst enemies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I, I look around and I see, I mean, have you ever met somebody and they, you know, they just, they look like maybe like kind of an average looking person or something. And then, you know, you, you get to know them or you hang out with them and suddenly they become like one of the most beautiful people that you've ever, you know? Yeah. So beauty is also beauty is seeing somebody's soul, you know, because what, if you, if you actually take the time to actually see someone's soul, I mean, you cannot not see a beautiful person. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. I love that. (laughs) I cannot not see a beautiful person. So I have a couple of questions and let me figure yes. out which one I want to ask first. I was trying there, to remember our conversation because we had such good, good points and during our conversation and I'm now I'm having trouble recalling them because I'm <laughs> flowing with you, you know? I, I love it. I love the energy. <laughs> um, so is there a part of your, of your story that still sticks with you that you still have to be very aware and conscious of to work through like a, a part of a struggle? I think because of bodybuilding, you have a stage weight that you need to hit. And then there's a general rule that you want to stay within like 10 pounds of the stage weight, which is ridiculous because you're only on stage for like three minutes. <laughs> and that is how long your body looks like that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you are, you are training for that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a bodybuilder, I think, you know, obviously bodybuilding and doing these kinds of competitions is not for somebody that's had an eating disorder or anything like that. But I think for me, something that I am very conscious of is like weighing myself in front of my daughter. I only weigh myself once a week if I'm, if I'm trying to like lose weight or something. Cause right now I'm, I'm still in the process of getting the baby weight off because mm-hmm. I had a baby in the middle of the pandemic. So just like going through this journey of like, okay, now another weight loss journey. This time I've been very conscious of just like, what am I eating in front of my older daughter? How am I talking about food in front of my other, other daughter, uh, my older daughter, mm-hmm. um, especially this. And this is something I work on my, with my clients too, is taking ownership over your choice to lose weight okay. and not using destructive language, language like can't. 
because as soon as we say, I can't eat that, or mommy can't eat that, then, then we're, then it's like, we're breaking a rule or somebody has some kind of force over us. Whereas if it's a little elevated to say, and even for me, it's a little elevated to say, I'm choosing not to eat that, Mm -hmm. but I can say, I don't want that right now. I'm fine. I'm going to eat this instead. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. But I mean, for me, that's, that's the work that I'm doing. That's where I'm at is mm-hmm. that's the work that I'm doing is to continue to take ownership over the choices I'm making yeah, every step of the way and to make sure that she sees that as well. Mm-hmm. So important. When you were speaking on, you know, wearing the makeup and, and all of that kind of thing, it, it made me think about that there's this movement right now and it's body positivity. Mm-hmm. And the movement itself is great because it's telling you to be positive about your body and like, what's wrong with that? That sounds fantastic. But the problem is that the message is, is kind of saying like, you need to be happy where you're at. Okay. And so I find this to be in more in the realm of toxic positivity, because if you aren't happy with where you're at and that is not authentic to you, then again, you're feeling less than because you're not, you're not, you can't be met there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need to be, you need to understand that you can feel positive about your body. And that ultimate body positivity is actually saying, I love myself enough to make the change uh-huh. and to do the work. And I think that kind of goes back to the question that you just asked me, which is love yourself enough to know the difference between you settling, you know, yeah, and you, you wanting to change and just maybe that work feels really heavy for you, but you're strong enough. You're strong enough. Look what you've been through. You're definitely strong enough to do the work so that you feel good in your body because we only have this body right now. That's yeah. it. This is the only one we get. And we put a lot, I mean, women put so much energy into making these like beautiful homes. I mean, have you been on Instagram? Yes. <laughs> like gorgeous homes. Okay. Um, you know, or their, their children are always dressed to the nines and they're always taking them their practices and they're taking their beautiful family photos. And, um, you know, we get in and out of these, you know, expensive automobiles and all of these things, but we only have this one body. Yeah. So if you're not happy in this body and you have all these other things dialed in, there's something that you are avoiding and you need to tune into it. You need yeah. to fix it because it, it, until you do, it will just be hanging over you. You won't, yeah. won't be able to move on. You won't be able to get into your own personal evolution. Like what is the next stage for you? You won't be able to get there until you handle this. Mm. I love that. That's so good. That's so good. It's so real. It's, it's freeing. <laughs> yes. you, your definition of beauty is. I love that so much. Um, okay. So last question. When when women hear your story, what's what's something that you hope resonates with them that they can kind of carry with them as they're, you know, changing from I can't to I'm going to love myself enough to do this. And in this journey of becoming empowered as they are able to take the reins and, you know, go, what is just this one thing that you hope that they pull from your story? I hope that when someone hears my story, that they realize that their thing, whatever their thing is, if they have a thing, can be dealt with. And I hope that their journey is not as long or as tedious as mine was. Um, and that they, maybe they have to do a little bit less work to overcome it. And I hope that if there is somebody listening that is currently a prisoner in their own body, that they will feel empowered by this conversation and want to change it and realize that life is too freaking short to be feeling that way anymore. Yeah. And it's not just going to disappear either. We're not going to, we're not going to um, manifest in a way. Yeah. What you are currently manifesting is the solution. You're currently manifesting the tools to rid you of this, this problem. That's what you're manifesting. If you're trying to manifest this problem disappearing, because yeah. we cannot manifest in the negative, but what you are attracting are the tools to help you. Right. Right. So you're listening to this for a reason. If this is speaking to you, you are here for a reason and you're listening to this for a reason. And that reason is to tell you 
you can change it. You're strong enough to change it. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes, my friend. I think every woman just really needs to sit down and and just talk to another woman about just, it's okay. (laughs) Well, that's why you're here. You know, that's why you're here doing this, right? Yeah. You are the one having the conversation. So other women can tune in and hear this. If they can't have that conversation on a personal level, then you are there to have that conversation to facilitate that. It's, it's going to be a very freeing podcast. We all shine the same. We, we all shine the same. It's just, what are we going to do with our power and you choosing to share, to share your power and your vulnerability in this way makes you spectacular. There are so many, there are so many people just sitting on their gifts. This, I have this mentor right now. I hired my first, um, my first mentor. Good for you. And so important. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, it's so important. But then you're like, how do I get one? I don't and law of attraction, <laughs> you know? Exactly. So I found her and what makes me, I took like a little, like a little intro kind of boot camp from her. And she told me this. And as I'm writing my book, like this is what I'm thinking the whole time I'm writing my book. Um, Cause I'm writing a book right now on self-care for mothers. Oh, and how, that. how it's, how you need to prioritize your self-care. Like it's basically what so it is. So needed. Yes. And I'm trying to say it in like a sexy way. So people will grab this book off the shelf um, when it comes out. But I mean, every, everything, that's just, it's just like pouring out of me. Like I'm downloading straight from source and I'm just like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Like whenever I have an opportunity to write, you know, that's what it feels like. Awesome. Um, oh, so she said, and I feel like such a nimrod for like never hearing this before, but she, she was saying, do you know, this is like a famous quote. So you probably already heard it, but I love other people's words. So I was surprised that I had it. And she was saying, do you know what the richest, this is like a famous quote. Do you know what the the richest place in the world is? No, it's a cemetery because so many people die um, without writing that song or writing that book oh or my being gosh. in that play or, and I was just like, and then she was like, you want to die empty. Oh my God. And I was like, like, I'm going to cry right now saying this because I have so much in me that I want to get out there and I want to die empty. And it's like, are we just going to sit around and just like, wait for it to happen? No, you got to grab the bull by the balls. You got to sit down and write that book. You got to write that song. You got to do that podcast. You got to have these conversations. So you, but this is your way of dying empty. What probably one of your many ways you're having those conversations that maybe we can't have in person. So you're having them virtually. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's another, we want to die empty. I'd never heard of that. I mean, I never have it written in places. I'm like, die empty. What am I doing? (laughs) I love that. All right. And on that note, thank you so much, Justin. Thank Um, you. Oh my gosh. So great. And we will be in touch. Okay. Yay. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Our music is Dance Around the Campfire by Julius H.
and we we have to share that with our children that we can do something. There are so many there are so many people that just didn't want to do it. This I know my kids just um, refused to participate.